Morning, everybody. A um, couple quick things before we get started. Um, if you're visiting with us, if it's your first time, if you're looking for a church home, I'm not the regular preacher. Uh, that's Jeff Dunn. He's on, uh, I believe, vacation this week. Um, I don't know if he'll be back next week, but he'll be back soon. And uh, really encourage you uh, to not judge our church by what you hear from me this morning, uh, but more the friendliness and the uh, the spirit-filled people that you're sitting next would be great, um, and I'd encourage you to come back uh, and hear Jeff um, uh, lead, uh, lead us in thoughts. You know, Jeff, um, really gifted in uh, using a few words to deliver a powerful message. Uh, I'm gifted in using a lot of words to deliver a shallow message. So uh, there's a little bit difference in style there, uh, but appreciate his. He's been taking us through Luke. Uh, we're really uh, going deep into Luke, and it's been a very powerful series, so I, I, I encourage you to come uh, back for that. Um, I'm going to um, give an announcement here, and then say a prayer, uh, f- and then we'll get into the lesson. So, uh, just out of convenience, I'm going to give you some potluck instructions now. You have to remember, remember them for about 42 minutes, uh, let's say, probably. Uh, so, here's some potluck instructions. Um, line up for the buffet by going down this hall and through room 10. If you're a visitor please, and didn't bring any food, man, there's going to be plenty. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, just, just follow the herds down the hungry people, which will be going down that hall and through room 10. Uh, and, and I'm going to pray for both that meal and for the lesson we're both, that we're going to share uh, together, if you'd pray with me. Father... I'm just so grateful to be uh, able to come and in this oasis of togetherness and worship uh, to think about your gifts to us and your goodness and the humility of Jesus uh, and what you are calling us all to that is unique and different and called apart and holy from the world, Father. Father, as we later uh, join in a meal of fellowship, uh, we pray uh, that uh, you will bless our time together and bless that food, Father, that we may use its energy to only do your goodwill on this earth. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So some other warm-up things. Let me get my slide pointer to green. Good, right? Um, so again, if you're, if you're a visitor and you're not used to my style and you're not sure what's happening, you're wondering if there's a point that's ever going to get made, just lean over to someone who looks like they've been here for a while. If you're someone who's been here for a while, tell them probably. There's probably something coming. Um, so, uh, again, I, I use the, more the long format, lots of slides approach uh, t- uh, because I think about these things and overthink them. You'll, you'll see a lot of overthinking today. I'll try to point out where I might have overthought some things and see if maybe you have too. Um, the first thing I may have overthought is a McDonald's commercial, which inspired the title of my sermon. Anyone? Automatically? No, I thought so. Um, so let me tell you where we're going, just because it might be a long and winding road, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a breadcrumb trail to follow. Uh, a TV commercial, lots of memes, a brief into, uh, intro to my theology of Bible lists. Then we're going to look at some really th- uh, strong th- uh, three Bible verses together. I hope to spend the bulk of our time there. going to look at some gifts and temptations of some various groups among our body. Another TV commercial. And then finally, we're going to have this metaphor where I need you all to participate with me. Uh, and I know you can do it uh, because you already have. And I'll explain that later. So let's, let's get going. Uh, so 
uh, title of my sermon, obviously, right there in front of you, but in case people are listening, Millennials, am I right? Millennials, am I right? Amen. Uh, right, say, hallelujah. Uh, uh, inspired by a, uh, a uh, buttermilk-battered McDonald's chicken tenders commercial. Uh, let's, let's watch it. And we're going to talk about how to unbuild the walls of hostility. I chose those words carefully, unbuilding, and you'll see why in a little bit. So let's, let's get to what inspired uh, this lesson. So here we go. Ready on the audio? Here we go. Finally, I found chicken tenders that can pass as mine, which is nice because I've got better things to do. Peggy, I finished your shoulder. Millennials, am I right? No. Oh. No. Yes. Dinner! Introducing McDonald's Buttermilk Crispy Tenders. Juicy and made with 100% white meat. They're not grandmas. I'm okay with that. But she's okay with that. There you go. See? Shallow. We're just right into the shallow end of the pool. Did you catch the little stand-up act at the senior center? Her whole line is, Millennials, am I right? And then we're just like breaks into applause. Uh, you know, the premise is that, you know, since she doesn't have to cook anymore because of McDonald's great chicken tenders, she's got things like, and if you didn't notice, there's a slightly racy uh, jigsaw puzzle that she's completing, adjusting her recliner, working on her uh, 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 tender. She's spending some more time on tender, I guess, uh, a little bit, um, working on her stand-up, uh, lounging by the pool. So we're going to look at why, why that is uh, the inspiration for today's lesson. And so we've got this idea that, um, that millennials are a punchline these days, uh, really, uh, and just a bunch of memes. This is literally what I typed. This is, this is not from the Internet except for I typed this in and took the screenshot. So if you can't see it, um, why do millennials complain so much, travel, act so entitled, leave jobs, like avocado, love avocado toast, pretend to love work, job hop, and say like? <laughs> By the way, just for the record, uh, I like to travel. I don't know why that's, that one throws me a little bit. Uh, I've left seven jobs in my life so far, uh, so that's kind of a thing. Um, I, I really like avocado, um, and every once in a while I pretend to love work. Uh, so anyway, I don't know quite why we're stereotyping with some of these things, but you know, you get the, you get the picture. Um, here's some other examples. This is from a minor league baseball team. The Monterey Biscuits had a millennial night to attract people to their ballpark. Sometimes they give away T-shirts. Sometimes they give away bobbleheads. This time, thank you for reading ahead. Um, hey, want free things without doing much work? Of course, we're talking to millennials here, right? They just love free things. So uh, they're going to get um, they're going to get participation ribbons, selfie stations, napping areas, and lots of avocados. Oddly enough, many millennials found this offensive, and it backfired on them. Uh, but it did make the news. Just for the record, um, I have a question. Think about this. Who was handing out all the participation ribbons to millennials? Right? They didn't, like, knit them and hand them to each other. It was my generation that was handing everybody. But they get blamed for it. So way to go, millennials. Uh, it gets worse, by the way. Turns out that they've ruined all of history. Uh, on the left, you know, this is what, you know, pictures of our grandpas look like. You know, these were fighting men, um, possibly fighting for the German army, if I'm not mistaken, on that picture. That looks more like Nazi than American. And, of course, you know, uh, ruining our history uh, with these, uh, is that Snapchat? I've never taken a, yeah, thank you. 
They're ruining history. Now, millennials, you need to know that the generations prior to you never, ever took goofy photos where they pretended to be something else that's completely unique to your generation. Uh, oh, wait. No, that's not, that's not true at all. Now, let's keep going. So I'm going to leave that there and move on. So in summary, we've got these stereotypes. Uh, they've got a bunch of trophies. They're leeching off of their parents. When they're thinking, they're only thinking of themselves. Uh, they're narcissistic. Uh, always with the phone. They live at home. They've got tattoos. They're painfully earnest. I don't know why that's bad. Uh, lazy. So that's pretty terrible. Um, by the way, I'm not going to go through and like remind you what all the generational names are and what year they started and what year they ended and what is unique about them. This is really a lesson about generational conflict. Uh, just old and young, older and younger. So I'm not going to really go do the, the uh, boomer, uh, millennial, X, Y, silent generation. Um, and, and by the way, uh, I am the proud father of three millennials. I really, really love them. And uh, I don't think a lot of these things are true. So we're going to talk about that. But millennials, before you get all righteously full of righteous indignation, I think it's a two-way street a little bit. I think we've got a little bit of a, a, a skirmish, a battle going on here. Uh, for example, you know, there's these reverse memes. Hey, back at you, you know, older generation. You know, you know, you say, hey, these video games are violent, but you guys were playing with guns and uh, cap guns and all that stuff, which is so true. This looked a lot like my childhood, uh, for sure. Um, and so it's sort of this kind of tit-for-tat kind of a, approach. You just didn't have the technology. If you had technology, if you had video games, I guarantee you we'd be do- we would have been doing the same thing. Um, you know, these little lectures we give, you know, when I was your age, I worked for the summer and that paid my tuition. And you're like, right, because tuition was $400 at your college. That's so... It's a very simple answer. By the way, tuition has gone up six t- five to six times the rate of regular inflation since 1978. It's a curve like this. Wages are down here. So, you know, I, I don't know that uh, we can sort of keep giving these lectures. Same for housing prices, by the way. The reason millennials live with their parents is because house prices are like this. Wages are like this. The average home in Fort Collins is ridiculous. So uh, we're sometimes a little bit too hard. So, so hey, millennials, hey, who ruined your life? Pretty sure was the baby boomers. At least 51%. I don't really understand this graph. Um, have baby boomers made things better or worse for your generation? Even the boomers believe that 30% of their own life was made worse by themselves. Let's forget that. Let's just look at the millennial line. The millennials lead in thinking that their world has been messed up by older generations. So we've got this conflict this hostility. And the question is, is it new? Is just this social media is it our generation? Well, when I was a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, we had the same exact thing. It was called the generation gap. Anyone remember it? The generation gap. And we were trying to, it was in the news and it was, we didn't have social media to sort of accelerate it, but it was a thing. Does it go back further than that? Well, I found this quote from 1771. It's in kind of older English, so I'll have to read it to you and see if you can figure it out. <clears throat> Whither are the manly vigor and athletic appearance of our forefathers flown? (laughs) Can these be their legitimate heirs? He's looking at these young men. Surely no, a race of effeminate, self-admiring, emaciated fribbles can never have descended in a direct line from the heroes of 
Poitiers and Agincourt. I had to look those up. Those are French battles that the English fought. Um, so I'm not going to explain that all to you, but I looked up the word fribbles, and it means snowflakes. <laughs> so, so this is, I think this is humanity's problem. I think old people look at young people, and young people look at old people, and there's some hostility. And the question is, is it, should it be any different in the church? Should we just find that same pattern, just sort of copied and pasted in? No difference, or should we find something different? So, do older Christians look across the auditorium or the generations and worry about the future of the church as they see these creatures they don't quite fully understand? Do they think younger people are spiritual snowflakes? Uh, Do they hold the same hostility to to fellow Christians that just happen to be young that the world holds uh, from generation to generation? Do younger Christians look at the church and blame the older generations for the legalism and the dogmatism and the relevance to our society that they may see? Do they think of older people as useless? Uh, Do they hold some hostility to Christians whose only main difference is that they're older and that they don't understand them? We're going to explore that. But first, a slight detour on this weird theology I have about when the Bible lists out several things. There's just this kind of list. And I've got this theology, it's just mine, I can't you know, really defend it too vigorously, that some lists I think are fully complete and don't need anything else. Uh, the fruit of the fruits of the Spirit would be one of those examples. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't think we can say, I'd like to add punctuality. Punctuality is a fruit of the Spirit. I don't think we can do that. I don't think that... I think that list is pretty complete. There are other lists of the Bible. Um, uh, let me see. Let me catch up with my slides. There are some that I think have an implied etc. at the end of them. Because they're just not going to list everything out. And I'll, I don't know exactly when I do this, but I'll show you some examples of that a little bit later. And I think it plays in. So let's look at some of these key verses we're going to talk about. Ephesians 2. If you want to turn, turn uh, there, we're going to be in Ephesians Two for a minute, and, and really a, a couple of key thoughts that I want to bring out uh, from this passage. And I've kind of shortened it a little bit, um, but it really as we think about age-based mistrust and um, hostility, I want to bring this verse in, uh, starting in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And then in verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Um, let's go back and look at that a little bit. You've got this idea, by the way, uh, well, we'll do it in this order. You know, we've got this idea of two groups becoming one, we've got them having different spirits to having 
one spirit. We've got this idea of a wall between them, which I know probably refers to the temple wall between the court of the Gentiles and where the Jews could be. Um, But I think it's bigger than that. This wall between them that he has knocked down. And the way he knocked down was through his blood on the cross. That act tore the wall down and said, now there's one spirit and you're all like one. You might recall the subtitle of this lesson is Unbuilding the Walls of Hostility. Um, I'm going to come to that in just a minute, but this could be a list first. We could say, David, I've looked at this chapter, and this is clearly about Jews and Gentiles, and it clearly is. And my question is, is that it? Does it apply to an event which happened in the first century when Jesus died, and now Jews and Gentiles are the same? Or does it apply, or can it reasonably apply, to any time two groups have hostility towards each other and come into Christ that all of this applies? The two are one. They share one spirit. The wall's been knocked down. I believe this is one of those times where the list can be turned into bigger than that. Um, So this unbuilding the wall of hostility. Let me say, this is a real important concept, and we'll come back to it later. I think this is saying... I mean, Jesus died on the cross one time. He shed his blood one time. I believe the wall of hostility has been knocked down and the work is complete. The wall is down. So that's going to become important a little bit later, but I believe he has knocked down the hostility of all groups that are hostile to each other for all time when he died on the cross and shed his blood and said, look, when you come to Christ, there's no more grouping. There's no more of these factions. You're in the body. You are one. You share one spirit. Um, So this idea that the work is complete is really important for later. So um, let me get my... We'll keep going. So just to kind of drill down on that, there's another verse in Colossians 1 that's broader than this idea of Jews and Gentiles and the court and the temple Colossians 1.20, For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in Him, Jesus, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. To me, this just says that verse earlier that you might be very literal about Jews and Gentiles is broader than that because of the power of the cross. So, let's go on. That's kind of the first verse about the dividing wall of hostility and the work that Jesus has done. Verse number two, um, Galatians three twenty six through 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, I think we could legitimately make the point that the groups he mentions towards the end of this verse might be groups that are typically in opposition or hostile to each other. Certainly the Jews and Greeks were. Certainly slaves and masters could be. And often, I mean, it's true in our generation, right? Male and female. A lot of back and forth on that. And so I don't think that's an exhaustive list of all the groups that have been made one. So this to me is an et cetera list. You get the point. Jews and Greeks, male and female, slave and free, yada, 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 etc. You know, apply to you what applies to there. So, um, so 
we've got this idea that Jesus is trying to get rid of factions and division and grouping and segregation and all these things which are natural in the carnal, uh, sinful world, but which should not be present in the church. And so I think we could expand this. We could say uh, neither black-skinned, brown-skinned, or white-skinned. There's hostility there, but not anymore. We could say neither the greatest generation, nor baby boomers, nor millennials, nor the silent generation. For all are in Christ and share of one spirit. So all people who have faith are trying to be made into this one body that functions, which leads us to the third verse. How are we doing? Should we take a break? All right, keeping up? We can go back. We can go, let's go back. No, let's not. Okay. So, so this idea that we need to allow our minds to be open, that when we see some list like this, to look around us and see what could apply to us today. Um, so let's go on. This is a long one, and I've really had to shoehorn it onto one slide. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. I've abridged it. I've taken some things out. Uh, but you, you know this passage if you've been in, the, in, in Christ for a while. It's about the, the metaphor of the physical body and how that's like the body of Christ. So I'm just reading my abridged version. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just the way he wanted them to be. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. But God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping of guidance in different kinds of tongues, etc. We kind of really need an etc. in this one because we generally believe that about five, five of those functions in the church don't exist anymore. That's a, that leaves a pretty short list. So I don't think that I don't think in First Corinthians we're hearing these are the only roles in the church. The end. There are so many parts of the body. There are so many ways we bring, um, as Abel said, our unique, uh, you know, place and our skill and things. So. Um, you know, and, and just as we know so much about the body today, and as we keep finding more parts, we keep finding more parts. And as we look at those parts, we keep finding more parts. Um, just like the human body is in a really complex organism that all has to be working together. There's four or five body parts mentioned in First Corinthians, and we know there are a lot more that need to function in the church. So I say that, oops, I say that because... Um, I believe age and generation is one of those gifts that has a place in the body. All generations and all ages bring something unique to the church that we can use and that can benefit the body. 
It's not just people who can stand up and preach. It's not just people who can teach. It's not just people who can look after the slides or the audiovisual or keep the office running for the week. There are so many different roles that there are to play. Um, you know, like I said, um, you know, the list in the prior list has some is a pretty short list if we didn't expand it to think about what are all the things that make our body function. And so I wrote here in my notes that includes, you know, it's a good design. It's, you know, Jesus' design of the body is perfect. And he wants everything that we can bring to the body, whether it's just experience or energy or enthusiasm, whether we're old, really old, young, really young, middle-aged, boomer, greatest generation, silent generation, X, Y, Z, whatever we're calling the next generation, all equally are needed in the body of Christ, equally. They all have a role to play. We won't be complete without all of those ages and generations bringing their unique gifts to the body, their unique perspective to the body. But sometimes we don't see that. We fall into a more worldly pattern of generational tension and hostility and distrust. So as we look at this verse about the body, if you notice, there's two kinds of problems happening in the body. There's insecurity like, I don't think I fit in the body. I don't know. I'm not as good as that part of the body. Therefore, I'm no good. I'm of no value to the body. And he says, wrong. And then there's an even more damaging probably, which is the arrogance or the pride of, I'm the best part of the body. I deserve special status. And you, foot, ear, heel, uh, wart, I don't know. That's not, that's not a part of the body. Um, uh, I don't need you. I have more value than you. You're not even valuable on the body. But both of these can hold the body back. Let's see what that might look like in a generational context. So, older believers, and, you know, I keep, generally we've got this older belief, I don't know, it's probably not fair, but younger, younger, old, I don't know, it's sort of a, <laughs> like that a little bit. I kind of keep looking that way, I realize. So, um, our older believers, prime timers, whatever we're going to call them, um, you, I'm talking, have some unique gifts that you bring to the body that nobody else can have simply because they have not lived yet as long as you have. It's irreplaceable. Those things are like, well, think about the fact that when we look to you, we see people who have walked with Jesus for 50 years or 60 years. And, and we that are following want to know, what does that look like? What's ahead of me? What is in this life of faith? If I were to take it all the way to its near conclusion, um, what does that look like? All that time in prayer, all the times you've been exposed to God's Word, all those times that the Spirit spoke to you is this rich history that we need in the church so that we can see what a life of faith looks like. You are our earthly examples of a life of faith. You have been through it all in the church. You know you have. You've seen splits. And you've seen scandal. And you've seen bad ideas. And you've seen good ideas. And you've seen this attempt. And that attempt. And this new way of thinking. And that new way of thinking. And yet you know that Christ's church can survive just about anything. 
it's gone through all those things and you've watched it happen. You haven't enjoyed it. It's been stressful. But you know, you know that God is leading His church. He will provide for His church. And you know that because you've seen it all go every which way. And that's powerful because that gives you confidence. And then finally, and again, the, the, this could go on and on. I'm just in the interest of time. I'm looking at some key things. You have lived a life that's had everything. You know, if you start, younger believers, if you start thinking about older people for a minute and start paying attention, the number of them that don't have their spouses anymore is high. The number of them that may have lost even children along the way is high. The number of them which don't have siblings and certainly parents on earth anymore is high. They have been through a lot. Not to mention, and I can feel this coming in real ways, their bodies don't work like they used to. And I mean, I mean pain. I mean, they wake up in pain. They go to bed in pain. Their hearing doesn't work the way it used to. Their eyes don't work the way it used to. Their teeth don't work the way they used to. And yet, you know, here they are, uh, faithful followers of Christ. So they have, um, you know, older believers, you... You may have lost a pregnancy. You've probably been through operations and scary things medically. Uh, you've probably had job loss and financial insecurity and all these things that unfortunately make up life. And that is a gift because you can tell your story to those coming behind you. You can tell your story of how God was present with you when you lost your job, when you were in the hospital, when you lost your spouse, when things were going both good, joy, when you were raising your family. The things, you've got so many stories of faith walk through your life to share uh, that that is a gift to our body. Um, But there are also temptations. There can be a temptation to be nostalgic. And to think back 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years and think everything was great then. And if only we could go back. Because things now, and if, you know, if, if only things had been frozen in time when you were 30 or whatever, because everything was great. Can I just tell you that it wasn't? <laughs> and that when we think back, we sort of filter out the things that were really not that great. And so it can kind of make you think that, you know, the church today or the young people today or the, their attitudes or the way they approach God's Word or the, the way they approach their faith uh, is just wrong. And if we could just all go back to that simpler time, it's probably not true. The other thing is that, you know, we were here first. You know, we were, I've been doing this a long time. Therefore, um, you know, get special preference on deciding things or the way things are going or what happens in the body, and sort of like um, a little thumb on the scale of you know deciding things. It's not a very humble thing, um, but you know, uh, not not allowing room for others to have their opinion because of their age. And then finally, I just mentioned sp- spiritual retirement. Now, you may not have the energy anymore to teach a thirteen-week class. You may not have the energy anymore to teach ch- children. But there are so many things you can do. And we go back to things like story. When you hear about someone younger going through something that you went through, you can minister to them. You can, um, but I think sometimes we've got the idea of financial and American retirement. 
but we need you not to retire spiritually. We need you to be vital members of our body, to find ways that you can talk to people or encourage them um, and, and not just let that beautiful gift of a long life walking with Christ not get shared in whatever form you can. Maybe at a potluck. I don't know. That would be a good, great place to find a place to, to share those kinds of things. But here you are. You've been through all these things and you are faithful to Christ and you have made it this far and that inspires us to keep going and to keep walking in our faith. So much to offer and a few temptations. Let's look at younger believers. Um, if you're younger and we can, I don't know, 35, I don't, under, I don't know, just younger. You know, you've got the gift that I wish, they wish, we still had, which is so much energy. Um, you can go to bed at 2 and still get to work at 8, you know, that's great. Um, gaming or whatever. See, some good, some good-natured humor I think is okay. <laughs> uh, I'll take it back, but... Um, You've got so much energy and idealism. Younger generations are so idealistic about what could be. Can't things be better? Yes, they say. And I've got some ideas. <laughs> uh, they back up their idealism with, with some ideas. They, they really have an optimistic outlook about how the church could be doing more, about how our faith could be more real, about how we could be impacting our communities, um, which is that second one. This is a proven fact. Millennials really want to make a difference in their world. It's not saying that older generations don't. It's just a, a real hallmark of this younger generation. They want to make the world a better place. And they believe that it can be done. And that's powerful. And that's a gift. And we need to harness that and, and use that within the body. Um, they're also known as being generous. They share things with each other. Uh, we'll see a commercial about that later. Anyway, uh, they share things. They live together. They're very communal. Um, you know, I think it was probably millennials that said, hey, what if we just put bikes somewhere? And then people could just, like, check out a bike and ride it anywhere they want and check it back in. I was like, no, I've got a bike. That's my bike. It's my bike lock. I'll ride my bike where I want, you know. And they're just very generous, open, and sharing, um, which is a great hallmark. We need that in the body as well. But also some temptations. Um, the temptation that all these problems can be solved with these easy answers. And that at the age of 24, or whatever you are, that you know what that is. Um, and I appreciate that energy, enthusiasm. But a lot of things the church is dealing with, a lot of things that we're facing as a body, a lot of the spiritual things, a lot of the societal things, are not that simple. And we wish they were. Um, but sort of being confident in having a lot of answers, despite not a lot of years on the earth can be a temptation. Sort of the, hey, older generation, you've had your time. Get out of our way can be a temptation. You messed up the world. So, you know, over the sidelines. Even if it's not said that way, it can be kind of a spirit. And then kind of on the insecurity side, feeling like you're just too young or you're just not, you know, don't know God's word enough or you're not spiritually mature enough to, to really get engaged in serving the body or helping the body. And so the point is that no generation is perfect. No generation is as corrupt and evil as the memes would indicate. They all have gifts and things they need help with. And when Christ puts them all in the body of every age and stripe and race and um, political party and everything else and says, hey, knock down the dividing wall of hostility and work, a beautiful thing happens when we can 
escape the worldly pattern and embrace that vision. And so, what does it mean when there does remain hostility or tension between generations in this example? What does it mean? Well, follow me with my little logic exercise. If Christ tore down the wall of hostility between groups that are hostile to each other, and now there's a wall, how did it get there? You can talk. How did the wall get there? We built it. Worse than that, we took the stones that Christ meant to stay destroyed, His work, through the blood on the cross, and put them back in place. We undid the work of Christ. It's not just a wall. It's a rebellion. It's a no thank you, Christ. I'll take a wall of hostility. Even though that wall represents the cross and your blood. So I think we need to think about that. The wall is down. Let's not rebuild it. So if we feel hostility between any other group, age, generation, race, political party, economic status, gender, nationality, we rebuilt a wall that Jesus took down and we're working against him. And that's not okay. So, we need a different approach. And, you know, maybe for the most part this isn't a huge problem. It just has been brought to my mind. When people walk off the street and see us with each other, they should see a different world. Where they see generational hostility outside, they should see generational harmony when they're with us. And they should notice. It would be very different how we honor one another and value one another and talk to one another and see, even though we're different, that we all have our place and we're okay with that and we're not too afraid that everything's going downhill. It should be obviously different. So what would that look like? Well, it might look like this second commercial. Thank you for waiting for that one. Let's look at that one. Everyone complains about millennials. Nonsense. Millennials, I salute you. You save money like no other generation. You share cars, Wi-Fi passwords, canoes, deodorants. My grandson bought a pair of pants with me. Today's his pants day. No baby boomer ever shared a pair of pants with me. (laughs) Start saving with the Anywhere account today. By the way, today's lesson is sponsored by First Bank and McDonald's. Um, So, So, uh, let me go on to that. So, did you catch that? I know it's a commercial, but it's a very different attitude. I think it typifies that it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, He and his grandson are sharing a pair of pants. You know, no baby boomer ever shared a pair of pants with him. And he says nonsense about millennials. I think we should say, older generation, nonsense. The younger generation is beautiful, and they bring gifts to our church. And millennials and younger people, I think we ought to say, old people not having value, not being important, nonsense. You wouldn't believe the value they bring to our body and to our church. And so just a simple example of the church. So I said that you're going to have to, oops, I said that there's an audience participation part, and I knew you could do it because you've done it already. Let me talk about that. So... um, We're about to participate 
and a metaphor together. I'm going to walk you through the metaphor. Um, have you ever overthought this song like I have overthought this song? Anyone? Thank you, overthinkers. Yes. So these four voices are not singing the same song. The words aren't the same. The notes never line up. The words never line up, ever. You can go check it later. And yet, it's one of my most favorite and beautiful songs. So that's just a really interesting thing. The metaphor is, and we're going to walk through it, um, they're all singing something. So let's, let's make this a, meta, a metaphor for generations. So, and pay attention because you're about to sing it. You're about to sing the metaphor. We're going to sing this song again. So start paying attention. But we're going to layer over the song you sang earlier, a metaphor, and hopefully add a little bit different meaning to the second time we sing it than you saw the first time that we sang, which is okay. So let's imagine that the soprano part, which comes in first, represents those oldest in faith. Those are the first in faith. And as you know, uh, the sopranos are singing alone to start. And so the metaphor, and this is not perfect, is that that older generation, the first in faith, are singing their song of faith to God alone, but still singing it. They're happy in Jesus, but their song is one voice. So, now I want to make, this is really important. I'm not saying that older people should sing the soprano part. I'm saying (laughs) that soprano parts should sing the soprano parts, but you are representing, as a metaphor, the oldest among us. By the way, if you're old and a soprano, you should sing the part. Okay, it's getting, (laughs) I'm probably overcomplicating it, which I do. So imagine this. There's a group of people and they come to Christ and they're rejoicing and they're singing together. And they have their song from their time and from their experience. And then another generation comes along and joins them. Now, this generation's song is not identical to the first song. And so there could be two different reactions there. There could be, hey, your song is wrong. You need to sing our song. But instead, in our metaphor, you've been singing a song of faith alone, and now another generation comes and sings. And their song, by the way, is about Christ and God and faith. And so you welcome their song. In fact, you make a little room so that you can hear their song. You've been singing your song for a long time. You want to hear their song. You make some room so that you can hear it. And that's what's going to happen. We're going to ask the sopranos, when the bass join... Don't don't lose your voice, but right at that moment, we want to hear the bass because we're making room. We're joined. We want to hear their song. They're welcome. Then the altos join another generation. Again, this song is not the same as the two songs that came before it. You get the picture. Now, the two groups that have been singing together for a while, you want to hear their song. You're encouraged by their song. So you make a little room. So when the altos come in and altos... It's probably one of the hardest voices to hear. Make some room for them. Altos, let your, sing your song, your generation. You're representing a generation, and so on. Then the tenors come in. Tenors, you, okay, you get it. You don't get special instructions. But when the tenors come in, we have three generations that came before. And instead of saying, your song is wrong, they're like, yeah, 
hey, I want to hear your song. Make some room. So now, and again, we don't want to be at a whisper, so tenors, you have to sing out. And then this is really important. This is really important, and I don't know if it's going to work, but we're about to find out. (laughs) Fixing to find out. Um, This song is sung through five times. So on the fifth time, when we've all made room for each other, for each generation, and we've all heard our song, and we sing it all together, what happens? What do you think should happen? What would you say? Yes! She gets me. Um, So when we finally combine all of our voices together, we should just be so encouraged by each other's faith, by the fact that generationally we are not singing the same words, but God is through all and in all, and we share one spirit, that the roof should kind of go up a little bit here. Now, I timed this earlier, so here's what we're going to do. Steve's about to come up. He's going to lead this song, and we're going to put that into practice. Um, but I don't want the point to get missed. The dividing wall of hostility exists between any group that lets it or that rebuilds it. And as I thought about rebuilding a wall that Christ tore down, I felt a lot of shame because it just sounds like a thing I should not be doing. And I want you to expand this lesson to anywhere you see hostility in the church, between any group between your family and another family. I want you to think about that. But I'd like you to join with me in a minute in singing through the song with a metaphor laid over it. And when we, and by the way, it's going to be a little bit different. Steve's going to lead the song. I'm still going to stay mic so I can kind of help with instructions. If you hear me talk, don't stop singing because you think I'm saying stop. Just keep going. And I'm going to be... But when we get to the fifth time, I'd like you to participate in this metaphor. I'd like you to, through your voice, say... All ages are welcome here. All generations have value in the church. We are not exactly the same, but we are one in spirit, and we share one Father and one, um, one faith. And really, it's only about 27 seconds that we will have to sing just at the limits of our volume. Are you, is it okay? Fine with that? Okay. And I think it's going to be the last song, and then we're dismissed. So here we go. Stand up. Thank you. My soul magnifies the some room. New generation. Glory be to God. Come on, bass. A little more bass. Come on, bass. Bass. Good. Excellent. some room for the altos. Come on, altos. More, more. Come on, altos. Come on, altos. Louder. We want to hear you. Make some room. Come 
job. All right, tenors. Make some room for the tenors. My soul, man. Come on, tenors, more. More. Excellent. Yes. Make some room. Make some room. Save it for number five. Everybody, maximum. My soul Come on. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Come on. You can do more. More. Come on. Yes. Awesome. More. Keep it going. Awesome. Finish strong. Finish strong. Hallelujah. Thank you, everybody. Have a great potluck and rest of your day.